Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of messages on the Gospel of John, and this program is the sixth program in this series. In the previous message, I mentioned that there is a difference between the prophet and the priest. This had to do with the fact that John the Baptist was questioned about who did he think he was. He was baptizing Jews, and I explained in the previous programs that this was very significant because the Pharisees, the primary religious leaders of that time, they taught that baptism was necessary for a Gentile to convert to Judaism, but that if a person was Jewish, then they certainly did not need to be baptized. And so when John the Baptist was baptizing, baptism in and of itself was nothing new to the people at this time. What was new and what was different was that he was baptizing Jews. And this is why people were sent out from Jerusalem to go and find him and to ask him, who did he think he was? They asked him if he was the Messiah. They asked him if he was the prophet. Let me tell you a little bit about the differences between the prophets and the priests. There were priests who were there questioning John. The main difference between the priest and the prophet was that the priest did not have to have a relationship with God. The establishment of the priesthood was done through the Mosaic Law when God gave the law initially to Moses. God declared that there would be a priesthood who would follow the instructions of the law. Moses recorded what the priests were required to do, but it was Moses who spoke with God. The priests did not speak with God. They did not have a relationship with God. They didn't need to have a relationship with God. They had the law. And with the law, they had the instructions given by God with regards to what they were to do. Moses had the relationship Moses had the relationship in the sense that there was mutual communication between God and Moses. And God said a lot to Moses about things that had happened. He spoke with him about how he felt about the things that were going on at the present time. And he did proclaim things that would take place in the future. One of those things was that there would be a prophet that would come at a later date who would be like Moses, who the people would need to give their attention to. And this was, of course, the Lord Jesus. But the priests were just there in order to follow the instructions of the law. So this is one of the ways of understanding the difference between the prophet and the priest, was that the prophet had the relationship with God, he would speak with God, he would listen to God, and he would tell other people, he would proclaim what God told him. Now, when we think of a prophet, we're normally thinking in the context of somebody who is going to proclaim the future, who is going to tell us about what will be taking place in the future. And this, of course, is a reasonable definition, because a lot of what God had to say to people who were recognized as his prophets, a lot that he had to say 
were things about the future, about what was going to happen. And so God did speak with individuals, and he expressed himself. He told them what he saw. He told them what he felt. And he told them what he was going to do, in addition to other things that were going to happen. But mainly, he told these individuals what he was going to do about the circumstances, normally, that they were seeing happen in their lives at that time. And then the prophets would tell the people, this is what God has said. He said that this is something that bothers him. He has said that this is something that he might be pleased with. He has said this to me. He has said that to me. And in addition to the things that he has shared with me about what he sees and what he hears and how he feels, he has also proclaimed what will be happening in the future. And a lot of that would, of course, be the result of their sin, and it would also be his response to their sin. And because these were future events that would take place, the prophets would record what God said. And so you read through their writings, you will see in many places, and God said. So they recorded what God said, and then when those things came to pass, these people were properly identified as prophets of God. The priest was a person who followed instructions, and the prophet was someone who had a relationship with God and shared with others what God shared with him. And so when it came to the Lord Jesus, this is what he did. He came to proclaim what God shared with him. He did what God told him to do. This is a way of understanding Jesus as a prophet in the sense that he conveyed to others how God felt, what he saw, what he thought, what he was going to do. He was also a priest in the sense that he followed God's instructions. Not only did he observe the Mosaic law, but he also did specific things that God told him to do. And so in this sense, by following God's instructions, Jesus could legitimately be understood as a priest. And because he shared with others what God expressed to him, he was legitimately acknowledged to be a prophet. I did a more complete study on this subject in the study on Jesus, the prophet, priest, and king. You can find that in the Living God Ministries radio archive. But I just thought it would be appropriate to spend a little bit of time and describe those differences, and then you can go into those other programs in order to learn a little bit more about the subject of Jesus being a prophet, a priest, and a king. For now, though, I'd like to go back and spend a little bit more time talking about the baptism of Jesus. When John baptized Jesus, there were a number of things that took place. You know, a long time ago, I was having a conversation with someone who was a part of a church. In fact, it was in this church. I went and visited this church just to spend some time with the people there. And in this church, the subject of baptism was, of course, probably the most important doctrine for this congregation of people. They genuinely believed that everyone needed to be baptized in water and in their their church building by their leadership. Otherwise, the chances of a person being saved were extremely small. This was an important doctrine to them, and so, of course, we were having a conversation, myself and another individual there, about the topic of baptism. And something that he mentioned was, was that, 
If Jesus was baptized, then it certainly is something that is very important and something that we all ought to do. And I can, of course, completely understand this kind of a position that a person can take. I mean, after all, if baptism isn't important, then why would Jesus be baptized if it wasn't so important? So to him, he felt that this was one of the ways of understanding that baptism in water is very important, and it is something that we should all clearly do. But John explained exactly why he was baptizing, which is a way of understanding why Jesus was baptized and why, of course, it would be important. Beginning in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Something very important to talk about a little bit later. In verse 30 it says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And I'll pause there at verse 31. He came to baptize. God instructed him. John the Baptist was instructed by God. This is his testimony. He was sent by God to baptize Jews. And part of that was so that he could identify the Messiah. That was what he was doing. He was there baptizing people for several reasons. But one of them was definitely because God said that this is how John would be a witness and testify of who the Messiah is. Moving into verse 32, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. All right, so we have a few things that need to be addressed here. We have the issue that he is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. John speaks about the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. There are a few things that you need to understand about that. And we have the fact that Jesus is the person who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John testifies that the importance of Jesus being baptized was so that Jesus could be properly identified as the Messiah. And there were other things that were going on. As I mentioned previously, for a Jew to be baptized, it would be a way of him stating that he is just as unclean as a Gentile, that he would need to convert or commit himself to the Mosaic law just as a Gentile, that just because you're a Jew doesn't mean that you have a place in the kingdom of heaven. That was a very important concept that the people really needed to understand and embrace there in the land during the time when Jesus was conducting his ministry, because that was a major part of his ministry. It was to convey to people to explain to people that they needed to be saved, that they were not right with God just because they were Jewish. They were not living in obedience to the law, to the satisfaction of God 
as the law required, as God required, they were not accomplishing any of that, and they genuinely needed the grace and mercy of God. And so when Jesus was baptized, it did have the same meaning for him before the people, in the sense that when Jesus was baptized, they would see him as a person who has now dedicated his life, or rededicated his life, depending upon your point of view, who has dedicated his life to the Mosaic law, that he has, through baptism, he has cleansed himself. I don't think he had a need for that at all. But the people would look at him as a person who has cleansed himself. He has started a new life. And so regardless of what his life was like before he was baptized, his righteousness would be established from that day forward. Now, this is a very important issue because there are a lot of people who question, well, what was Jesus like before he was baptized? Well, as far as the people in Israel at that time were concerned, as far as his enemies were concerned, nobody cared. Nobody had any interest in what his life was like before he was baptized at all. It was not a topic, because according to their beliefs, once he was baptized, he had a new start. He had a new life. He was a new person from their point of view. And so it was from that day forward that he would be evaluated. His life would be examined to see if there was any sin within him at all. This was one of the advantages of him picking disciples and having them with him as much as they were, was so that they could be witnesses who could testify on his behalf and say, well, we never saw him sin. That was one of the reasons why he had the disciples with him all the time. And so today, in the modern era that we are in right now, you may occasionally run across a person who has a concern about whether or not Jesus really was perfect, whether he sinned or not, they would have a concern because we don't have a complete record of his entire existence, his entire life. Well, according to the people who really are interested in this, that question was satisfied by his baptism and by the presence of his disciples with him from that day forward. And so for them, it was never a topic. It was never a concern. People might try to bring that up now, but you have to understand that from his enemy's point of view, from the Pharisees' point of view and the Sadducees, the people who were in power at that time, they were satisfied, and that is what is really important. Now, with regards to the Spirit descending like a dove, that's verse 32, John chapter 1, verse 32, and John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. This had distinctive meaning to the Pharisees at that time. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, there is a description of the Spirit of God hovering over the face or the surface of the waters when the earth was being created. Now, the word that was used there to describe the Spirit of God over the face of the waters was a Hebrew word called merachefet. And this word is a, is a very unique word. In the language, the way that it's constructed and the way that it is to be translated, it is a word that describes hovering over something passively, but very intensely. 
It's a difficult word to translate well because of the unique verb form that it is in. And so the rabbis, the Pharisees, from before the time of the Lord Jesus, they examined this word and there was a lot of discussion about this word and the way that this word was understood or described by the Pharisees at this time was to say that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters in a way that was similar to a dove hovering over its eggs with the expectation that they were about to hatch, with the anticipation of the eggs about to hatch. That's how this word was described by the religious leaders of this time and before this time. They described the Spirit of God as a dove hovering over its eggs with the expectation and anticipation of the eggs about to hatch. And so when John gives this description in his testimony to the religious leaders as a way of identifying the Messiah, he was telling them that God sent him to baptize people and gave him a vision that he told him he would give him this vision of the Spirit of God descending upon the person so that he could testify that this is the person who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John was baptizing with water, but Jesus would be a person who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. It did not mean that there was a dove that flew down from the sky and settled upon Jesus, or that the Holy Spirit showed up like a dove, or was in the picture or the image of a dove that came down upon Jesus. It had nothing to do with a dove. The dove was nothing more than a way to describe the passive intensity of the presence of God coming upon the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming upon the Lord Jesus that John testified of. That's all that this meant. But what is significant is to, of course, understand and appreciate what John says here, where he says in verse 33, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And this is important because it makes the transition from water baptism to the baptism of the Holy Spirit to state that it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is significant. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus came to provide other people. It is not the baptism in water. And Jesus did baptize other people. There certainly is nothing wrong with that at all. And if somebody was to ask me to baptize them, I certainly wouldn't protest. But the issue is, is that that was something that God used in order to describe something else. And the something else is what we really need to embrace. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what we genuinely need, not the baptism in water. We need the immersion, the identification with. We need to be converted through the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And this goes back to verse 29, where he spoke about Jesus as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Again, in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sin of the world. Now, why would you need to take away the sin of the world? Because sin caused the Holy Spirit to depart from humanity. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, when God created humanity, he created humanity and breathed within them the breath of life, which is better translated as the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of lives. The Spirit of God, the divine Spirit, was breathed within humanity, and because of the presence of the life of God, people were living beings. Adam and Eve were the first living beings. And then he gave the law to say that if they ate from the wrong tree, which was a way of saying if you commit a sin, just as simple as eating from the wrong tree, if you commit a sin, then you will die, which meant that the life of God would be withdrawn from within them and they would be spiritually dead. So there were two issues that needed to be resolved, the sin issue and the spiritual death issue. In order to resolve these issues, you have to do both, and you have to do both of them in order. You must first resolve the sin issue, and then you can resolve the spiritual death issue. That's what Jesus came to accomplish. He came to die for the sins of the world, to take away, completely remove the sins of the world. That's why it says in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he came to do, and that's what he did through the crucifixion. Then through his resurrection, he sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that descended upon him like a dove, but it wasn't a dove, but descended upon him with passive intensity, that Spirit would then be sent down to humanity and would dwell within those people who believe in Jesus as the Messiah, who will embrace the forgiveness of sins, who will be made spiritually alive, who will, in effect, be born again by the Spirit of God, and they will then be a child of God and have a place in the kingdom of heaven. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The gospel has to do with sin, death, and forgiveness, and the restoration of life. So when John wrote in John chapter 1, verse 29, about the testimony of John, what he wrote was the testimony of the gospel that through the baptism of John the Baptist, John the Baptist was able to testify and proclaim that Jesus is the person who will resolve the sin issue and restore the Holy Spirit. And now that the Holy Spirit is restored, there is no sin that is left unforgiven that has not been taken away. There is no sin left that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within a person Ever again. And so once you have been made spiritually alive, there is nothing that can cause you to die spiritually again. And so when you physically die, you will go before your God with the presence of the Holy Spirit within your spirit. You will be recognized as being spiritually alive and you will have a place among the living. From here, the ministry of the Lord Jesus is all about helping people understand 
that they genuinely needed the forgiveness of sins that he was going to offer. They genuinely needed the grace and mercy of God, that that was the only way that they would be able to obtain forgiveness and be the recipients of the Holy Spirit of God. So what John the Baptist was doing was encouraging people to try to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law. He baptized the people in order to recommit or rededicate or to commit their lives to living in obedience to the law, which by default would mean that their life would be about trying to establish their right standing with God by their repentance and obedience. Jesus taught that they could never achieve that, that they should certainly try, but that they would never achieve that, and that they would have a need for the grace and mercy of God and forgiveness. So this is why Jesus was greater. John certainly encouraged people to obey the law, but salvation came through the Lord Jesus. Jesus taught the law throughout his ministry in order to show people that they could not succeed that way. So John the Baptist was great, but Jesus was greater. Thank you for listening. This program is the sixth program in the verse-by-verse study on the book of John. In this program, I spent time explaining why it was important that Jesus was baptized, why it was important to the people at that time, that it did have significance in the sense that people would have no regard for what his life was like before he was baptized. John the Baptist explained that he was doing his baptisms so that he could identify the Messiah by the sign God would give him concerning the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And so I explained that in this program. And I also explained that while John was great, he was great in the sense that people decided to genuinely commit themselves to living in accordance with the Mosaic Law. That was great. But what was greater was that the Lord Jesus would be able to show that that kind of an approach, that that kind of a commitment would never be fulfilled. And this is why everyone would have a need for the grace and mercy of God, for the forgiveness of God, why they would need a Messiah who would take away the sins of the world. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.